Hey, hey, hey. Welcome to the Flow and Flourish podcast. I am your host, Nicole Roan, and thank you for tuning in today. We are at the end of April already, and I know that I have been dropping a whole lot of information, talking a lot about different awarenesses, and today's going to be no different. I'm considering this part three of the It's the Awareness for Me series. And we're going to be talking about something that, again, I feel needs to be highlighted and discussed more because I believe that you cannot fix what you do not face. And so I want to tell you, thank you. If this is your very first time tuning in, you can absolutely expect to be in community with like-minded women who really understand what it's like to wear multiple hats, have competing priorities, who really need some help and guidance on managing capacity and figuring out how to create balance between their personal and their professional lives. So if this is your first time, make sure you go ahead and check out those first five or six episodes because I do lay the foundation and talk a lot about the pillars of flow. And you will want to make sure you understand what those are so that you can learn how to utilize them as you figure out how to flow effortlessly so that you can flourish tremendously in every single area of your life. And of course, for those of you who are not new to this, but are true to this, thank you for coming back. Thank you for listening. Thank you for rating. Thank you for sharing with other women who you know need to hear this podcast. And of course, just thank you so much for being here to tune in because it really means a lot to me. I know I say over and over that this podcast is my baby. And so I do this for each and every one of you that are listening with the hopes that you will walk away with some nuggets, with some guidance, with some motivation, just something that's going to stir something up in you that leads ultimately to a transformation. And so with that, I do want to go ahead and tell you before I jump right into this episode that if you are seeking some coaching, if you need somebody to walk with you on your journey through work-life balance, and capacity. Don't forget that I am accepting new clients right now. Make sure that you at least go and check out that capacity calculator because that is the very first step to working with me. And after that, we can set up some time to determine if I'm the right coach for you. So again, if you are really in a season where you know you've been operating at max capacity, aka you're stressed out, overwhelmed, feel like there aren't enough hours in the day and really don't know where to start, then let's connect. Come talk to me and let's figure this thing out. Okay, so I'm jumping right in today because I'm talking about life after sexual assault. And I have to be really honest with you because I hesitated so much to record this podcast because I didn't want to ruffle feathers. I didn't want to keep talking about things that were heavy. But honestly, I'm being obedient and I know that there is at least one of you listening that needs to hear this. Similar to all the other awarenesses that I talked about this month, sexual assault awareness is, I was going to say celebrated, but that kind of feels like a wrong word. It's really highlighted in April. And so I want to share with you today how sexual assault and life after it really does impact your capacity in ways that you probably don't really consider off the top of your head. And talk about it from not just someone who has 
physically been impacted by it, but how our families, how our loved ones are impacted in their capacity and their everyday lives as well. And then I want to make sure that I'm giving you some tips and some tools and some resources on how to really live after a traumatic event such as sexual assault. Now, in the name and spirit of obedience, I also want to let you know that I struggled with whether or not I was going to share some of my personal story and experience with this. And I really do feel moved to say and give this disclaimer that no, I am not a licensed clinical therapist, social worker, psychiatrist, none of that. But I do have my own personal experience. I have been a victim of sexual assault and on more than one occasion. And so the tone and the lens that I'm speaking to you from is from that of a survivor. So I will be sharing, of course, not gory details and all of that good stuff, but just really talking about from my experience and even from working with some of my clients, the trauma that comes from that and how that shows up in the different areas of our flow, the different areas of our lives. And I just want to talk about it. I want this to be a safe space where you can say, you know what, that hit close to home because that happened to me too, or something similar, right? And nine times out of 10, and I'll start giving you some of the stats in a minute, but honestly, like one in five or six women have been victims of sexual assault. So if it's not you, it could be your mom, your auntie, your friend, your child, your cousin, a coworker. It happens way too frequently for this to not be impacting at least one person that's listening to this. So let's go ahead and get right into it. To make sure that we're all on the same page in terms of what we're talking about, I do want to go ahead and read you a definition that I found of sexual assault. Now, it's considered to be any type of sexual activity or contact that you do not consent to. It can happen through physical force or threats, threats of force, or if the attacker gives the victim some sort of drug or alcohol as part of the assault. And I do want to make sure that we're very clear that sexual assault also includes both rape and sexual coercion, okay? And so I mentioned earlier that one in five or six of us women in the United States alone have experienced sexual assault. And on top of that, there are over 400,000 victims of rape and or sexual assault each and every year. And the most alarming part of that is that People between the ages of 12 and 34 are the highest risk. Now, I know there's a lot of people who might be in that maybe 20, 25 to 40 bracket and 40 plus and so on. But think about that. Like these sort of things are happening at an alarming rate to young ladies. And it's not that it doesn't happen to men because I know that it does. But I'm focusing on women today because my goal is to really highlight and help one of my listeners, some of my listeners, any of my listeners, that this is going to impact. And so when you think about those statistics, I want to talk a little bit about how the aftermath of this really comes up from a mental and emotional capacity. And then I'll talk about it, how it impacts you from your work capacity, like how you show up, and then how it honestly hits your pocketbooks. 
but I do want to tell you a little bit more about my own situation. Between the ages of, I want to say, 16 and 20, I had already experienced two separate incidents of sexual assault. One, when I was going to go and apply for a job, and another one when I had just started college and I was on campus. And so when I talk about this from the lens of a survivor, I do have to share that not only was I terrified, right? It was that much more worse because in one of those instances, it was someone that I knew. It was a close friend of my brother. And I was terrified to say something because I didn't want anybody to think that I came on to him. I didn't want the perception of, oh, you're just hot, right? Like, how many of us have heard that so many times? It's almost like the victims get the blame because of the way that they dressed or something that they said or they, you know, been intimate with the person before. And I saw something as I was doing research, and it was a graph, and I know you've probably seen it too, that had a bunch of different colors. It was like a color key in a circle, and it had different little pieces that said percentage or you know, reason why sexual assault or rape happens. And it was all one solid color. And it was because the attacker, period. Nothing else. Not that you were drinking too much. Not because of what kind of clothes were worn. Not because of some sort of gesture or facial expression. To attack somebody else is a choice. And so I want to talk a little bit about how the victim and or close family members or friends are impacted by sexual assault or sexual violence. First and foremost, we can all probably agree and understand From a mental and emotional capacity standpoint, there are feelings of shock, feelings of embarrassment, feelings of frustration, feelings of, oh, did I do something to deserve this? But beyond that, many people suffer from long-term psychological and emotional distress and trauma. And I can speak to this personally because I remember even years After both of those incidents occurred in my life, I remember traveling with my brother for a student government meeting or he was running for some sort of an office. And prior to those incidents, I had no problem going out and about and being around, you know, other people. And he ended up leaving to go grab food for us, I believe. And I literally had a panic attack because I realized he'd left me there with some of his friends. Now, I knew the friends, but of course, to me, in my head, that didn't matter. And so when he came back, I was literally having a meltdown in the bathroom with the door locked. And so for years, I could not be around, number one, guys that I didn't know because I didn't feel comfortable. And oftentimes, even if there were people that I did know, I had to have somebody else there with me. Because I never wanted to put myself in a situation where I felt like I could be taken advantage of or violated. And then even as I got older, realizing that some of my self-worth and self-esteem issues were linked to 
the times in my life where I'd had those experiences. Because regardless of what anybody tells you, most of us who have been through this think there's something I could have done to prevent this. It had to be my fault. Maybe I could have, should have, would have X, Y, Z. So that leads to depression, anxiety, self-esteem issues, like I mentioned. And so silently, that eats at your capacity as well. So your mental and emotional health and capacity, even years later, is significantly or can be significantly impacted if you don't heal, if you don't talk about it, if you don't do the necessary things. And can I just add here that 75% of the sexual assaults committed are literally by somebody that we know. And a little under 20% of those are committed by family members. And so I know there's this whole, what happens in this house stays in this house, sweeping things under the rug, those sort of things. But that's why it's such a big problem. And if you add to that the multitude of reasons why people don't report when things like this happen, let me just tell you a couple of the reasons, in case you're wondering. The number one reason, of course, is fear. Fear of what other people will say, fear of whether or not they'll be believed, the fear of retaliation, because then when you think about it, most of these crimes are being committed by people that we know. And I'll tell you firsthand, when I was 16 and assaulted by a person that I literally went and applied for a job for at Blockbuster, so this was a long time ago, clearly, because Blockbuster is no more. But the first thing that the police officer asked me was, what were you wearing? Like, are you kidding me? And I burst into tears and I left the police station with my mom. Because what in the hell does that have to do with anything? I'm a 16-year-old girl reporting being violated and you asking me what I was wearing? So, of course, number two is because people don't think that they're going to be believed and they don't want to necessarily expose the people that have harmed them. And again, that goes back to how frequently it happens to us by people that we know. And so we got to stop this protecting people because if we continue to operate like that, they're going to continue to hurt other people. And I know you may not think that it's your place or your business, but it is. You have a duty and an obligation. Because if somebody hurt you, what makes you think they're not going to hurt somebody else? And I know that's a lot of weight to have on your shoulders. But my whole hope in sharing all of this with you is that you, even if it's years later, you come forward and say something so that other people don't have to go through that. I know I could go on and on, and this really is coming from the heart. So let me get back on target and talk a little bit about how these situations impact our loved ones. So whether you know it or not, just because you may be a close friend, family member, acquaintance of someone who has experienced sexual assault, you actually tend to have the same sort of emotional reactions, right? Of guilt, of shame, regret, frustration, anger, because you feel like maybe there's something that you could have done. And being a friend of a couple of people who've also experienced that, I know firsthand that feeling. And so that eats at your capacity too, right? 
You're constantly thinking over and over and over, if I would have just done X, Y, and Z, or it's my fault because X, Y, and Z. When the reality is, let's go back to the beginning of this. Whose fault is it when a sexual assault occurs? The attacker's fault. Exactly. And it's easy for me to sit here and tell you that from this point of view and in my life, but I remember being in the shoes of being a good friend or family member and feeling like, I don't care what nobody says, I could have prevented it. And so again, when you don't manage those things or get the help that you need from a professional to deal with the things and feelings and emotions and thoughts that come from this, they suck up your capacity. And so let's talk about that from a work perspective. I was reading a study, I believe from the CDC, and it referenced that about 45% of people who are impacted by sexual assault exhibit issues at work, specifically around being able to concentrate because of PTSD. The anxiety and depression causes them to take time off from work. And then ultimately, they're unable to perform their jobs as well as they were prior to the assault, which leads to write-ups, performance plans, and even termination. And then as a result of that, I believe in 2015, the EEOC awarded over $164 million to individuals who felt like they were targeted or unfairly treated based on disclosing private general information around their mental health or well-being as related to some sort of sexual assault. And then we wonder why people don't say things, right? You can't go to the police. You can't go to your family members or friends because they might be the people that are doing it. And you can't even say anything to, you know, anybody at work. And so we have to do better as a culture, as people, to start creating the safe spaces to have these conversations so this stuff can stop. And I know it'll never be over, but we can each collectively and individually take a stand and start to talk about this. I want to give you a couple of different tips and resources in case either you or someone you know or love has been sexually assaulted and kind of how to help navigate life after such a traumatic event. My number one tip strategy, however you want to phrase it, is to seek professional help. Yes, it's great to go to, you know, someone that you trust within your family, but honestly, most of us are not equipped to handle all of the emotional and psychological things that come from experiencing such a traumatic event. And with us being in such a state of having the ability to see people virtually, there are a multitude of places where you can find a licensed therapist who can help you that specializes in sexual trauma specifically. So I'm going to say number one, first and foremost, go get some help. And if you are a friend or a family member of someone who's been in this situation, encourage them to do the same thing. Because those feelings, they may not come up immediately. It could be three days, three weeks, three months, three years. And they may not even realize and you may not even realize as well. So seeking out help to at least start to try to process. Because we know what happens when we bury stuff, right? 
when we push it down, pretend that it didn't happen and just hope and wish and pray that it goes away, it comes back anyway. And I'm a living proof example of that because even though I thought I was handling things, I wasn't. So in all of the stress and the mental anguish and the worry and the frustration compounded within my body, it started to manifest physically and landed me in ICU. And again, I don't want anybody else there. And I'm not trying to say that one situation is worse than another. Stress is stress. Trauma is trauma. So get the help that you need so that you can flow, so that you can flourish, so that your relationships are not impacted both personally and professionally, because it's going to be really difficult to trust people in any regard if you don't even feel like you can trust yourself. So get the help that you need with a professional. Number two, I'm going to say journal, because if you're not in a place where you feel like you want to seek professional help, at least get in your thoughts out of your head, get in your feelings out on paper. There's something about writing that just releases and being able to say, hey, I feel like crap today because of X, Y, and Z, or I'm having a better day. I'm having a flashback, whatever it is, putting a name on it is going to also help you to process. So get in the habit of journaling, writing out how you feel, what you're thinking so that all of that's not swirling around on the inside of you. And number three I know it may sound, I was going to say taboo, but not even that. Contradictory, I guess. It's to do your best to practice self-care. And what I mean by that is getting rest, eating, not isolating, really taking care of yourself. Because oftentimes, if gone untreated, trauma results in chronic depression, anxiety, mental health issues. And hand in hand with that goes not eating, not drinking, not sleeping. So it can probably be very difficult, especially right after a sexual assault because of nightmares and all of those things to do that. But as you go on your healing journey, I encourage you to practice self-care and to incorporate it in your routine. And remember, self-care is not just about going to get a facial or a massage. It's doing what's best for you. It's listening to your gut. It's taking the time to say, hey, what do I need in this moment? What do I need to feel okay? What do I need to feel safe? And practicing that and doing that. So as a survivor, I'm telling you from someone who's been through it, these three things will help you tremendously. Now, if I rambled and didn't cover everything I said I was going to cover, I will apologize now. I just, I had to get on here and get this out. Because I knew if I didn't do it, it wouldn't happen. And I know by the goosebumps I have had while recording this, that this is going to bless somebody. Somebody needs to hear this. I want to tell you, listener, who may be the victim or survivor or friend or family member, it's not your fault. I don't care what nobody says to you. It is not your fault. And healing is a process. Take the time you need. Don't let anybody tell you you should be over it. Nobody. Take the time you need to heal and do the work that comes along with it. Know that you are not alone. Know that there are so many other people who unfortunately have suffered from something either identical or similar to what you are going through. 
So find you a tribe of people that can help uplift you. Find you a group of women who can pray over you, who can help you take off your mask, who can help you to really tap into yourself. Because this is a journey. It's not a destination. Healing is a journey. So with that, I want to just tell you how thankful I am that you listened today. I know that if you're listening to this, it's for a reason because you wouldn't listen just based on the title if this wasn't something that resonated with you. And so I always invite you to reach out to me if this has helped you and say, listen, I needed that. If you know somebody that needs to hear this, send it over to them too because we are all responsible for each other. I do believe I am my sister's keeper and I know that sounds corny, but I truly believe it. Ask any of my friends, ask my family members, ask my P2P sisters. I genuinely love and care about my circle and I want all of us to win. And winning starts with having uncomfortable conversations about things that we don't typically talk about. So have a good rest of the week. Take care of yourself. And I promise that next week will be a little bit lighter and fluffier. We're not going to be so heavy, but I had to get this out. I don't want any of us running around at max capacity and not realizing how things of old that we thought we've tucked away and dealt with are still coming up and causing us to operate out of overwhelm, out of fear, and out of anxiety. So let's get to the root of this. And as your capacity coach, I thank you for allowing me to pour into you. And I look forward to continuing to help you create balance between your personal and professional life without ever having to sacrifice yourself your family, and what matters most to you. I'll talk to you next week.